Side with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from a basement in the suburbs of New York City and an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I believe we have Matt Doherty with us right now in the guise of your face. So I saw somebody tweeted this week because you uh, posted it. Yeah, on Instagram, you put up a picture of me. And um, somebody said that I look like the new Tottenham and former Wolves player, Matt Doherty. Yes. And what what I want to say to that person and to you and to everybody is that the whole – the world is now just beginning to understand what I have known for years. And that is that I am the conglomeration of all white males – on planet earth. And if you took all of them and scrunched them all into one humanoid, you would get my body and my face. And that's why I can simultaneously look exactly like Lil Dicky and Matt Doherty, even though they individually look nothing like one another. God wakes up in the morning and says Friday, he's hungover. He's had a few pints Thursday and uh, Michael, the archangel goes, God, you got to make some new humans. And God's like, oh, I don't have time to give them individual traits and unique facial features. Have we got the gundling template? God, we're not doing another gundling. We have to. That's why. No, that's right. I'm like number three on FIFA like <laughs> when you're creating a player. No, I, in my life, I have been told by different people at different points that I look exactly like now Matt Doherty, Lil Dicky, Clint Dempsey, Ben Affleck. And a Lego figurine. <laughs> like, who else can rattle off all these things that different people in, at different points in their life have told them they look exactly alike? If you committed a crime and someone witnessed it, the the, the cop would go when he's trying to do the composite. Um, has he any, any distinguishing features? No. What a show we have coming up for you. Um, lots of kind of random happenings around the world of soccer. Uh, We'll give you the latest, of course, with Lionel Messi. That'll be straight out of the gate. We'll talk a little bit about a a possible Manchester United signing that I don't believe is official yet, but should it happen, it's it's very intriguing. Uh, We'll talk about Arsenal's recent upswing, do a little bit of MLS. Alex Vayar is going to join us from the Salt Lake Tribune um, to talk about just what has gone on with the ownership of that club in the course of the past week, week and a half or so, because it has been troubling, uh, fascinating, so we will get um, we will get the perspective of somebody who is there, kind of among it, covering it for that paper uh, in just a little bit. Also, we have a Critics Corner returning tonight. I'm very excited about this one because I've done my homework. Oh, finally, you've watched something. I'm actually nervous about that segment, though. Why? Because I believe that it's going to be a Dunkirk situation all over again. And oh. you know I, that I'm too fragile a person to handle uh, those types of situations. Well, it's a double critics corner because we've got the Anelka documentary to talk about, but obviously center stage will be all or nothing, but mostly nothing. Tottenham Hotspur. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. I saw you make that joke on Twitter. You're recycling jokes that you make on Twitter on this podcast. It's, I mean, come on, come it's up cheap. some original material. Yeah, that people deserve better. I'm sorry. And, by the way, for people who don't even understand what I mean when I say, I just like flippantly say like it's going to be Dunkirk all over again. People may have no idea out of context what that means. Um, it it means that you're going to retreat from your position and for 70 years afterwards claim it as a victory. That's not what's happening. No. Oh, wow. What a take. 
No, it means that uh, after JJ and I saw the movie Dunkirk, we both came on the podcast and said that it might have been the greatest war movie we've ever seen. And we were just in awe of it. And we were stunned in the, the ensuing week of the tweets that we received from people who thought it was terrible. And it really shook us both to our core that like we could no longer trust our own opinions. We were so sure that everyone was going to feel that way. Um, and so I'm, I'm worried now that there may be that sort of friction between you and I, when we talk about all or nothing uh, with Tottenham. Speaking of friction, Messi, Barcelona. Let's so here is, here's the latest. Um, we always knew when Messi sent in his bureau facts that there was a chance of this getting ugly. And it now appears we are, we are in full the full throes of, of ugliness. Um, Messi has not turned up. He is basically treating himself as though he is not a member of Barcelona. Uh, the club, of course, views it from the complete and total opposite perspective. Um, they are holding firm on the 700 million euro figure. Um, yeah. Can, Messi, can I- Messi is, and his father is now in route. His father slash agent is in route from Argentina to Barcelona, where he's going to be meeting with Bartomeu on Wednesday afternoon to try to figure this out. Right. Something tells me, I mean, how do you think a negotiation is going to go JJ when somebody is coming into this negotiation saying, okay, that'll be 700 million euros. And the other person is coming into it saying, no, 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 that'll be zero. Like they are, there's far apart, and then there's what we're talking about here. This is next level far apart. Well, let's go with the timeline of what we know. So this is a very quick resume of what's happened over the past few days. So we had the Messi Bureau facts, which we were told stated that he was activating the June 10th clause. Barca respond to say it has expired. We have an impasse. Enter La Liga, who released a statement saying basically that Messi's contract is still active and can only be bought out for $700 million thus siding with the Barca and the Bartomeu side of things. Enter radio station Ondacero, which says that it has seen a key clause in which at the end of the 1920 season, Messi unilaterally can walk away from the contract and go for nothing. So the key questions are, if Ondacero are correct and that clause exists, why is Messi not in negotiations over a city contract right now? How desperate is La Liga and Bartomeu to keep him and I suppose, how does a Messi fit into a Manchester City and Pep Guardiola system? Those are the questions I'm thinking of. Yeah, look, if the contract is worded in a way where no specific date is given, then this is a non-issue. And regardless, I'm not saying that the radio station is filing just false reports and lies, but it's just it's just hard for me to believe that that would be the case here. Like, how could we be mixed up in all of this ugliness right now if there's no actual date? Like, if it just says at the end of the season, then this isn't this is an open and shut case. Like, Messi well, did that. Well, the the contract, as as Andesera said, was three plus one, so three solid years in which he could leave in May at any point, but he wouldn't want to, as Bartomeu said, because he loves the club too much. Which was, wow. <laughs> well, you need to back up that love, Bartomeu, if you're if if he's going to stay. And then the final year would be optional and he would get to walk away from that at this point. So, I mean, honestly, that can't be the case or else he would be bye-bye, see you later, absolutely gone. And we'd probably be looking at Manchester City trying to figure out how they can do the creative accounting they'd need to do to pay his wages. Um, and by the way, that that element of it, Obviously, I'm fascinated by all elements of this, like how this is going to sort out with Barcelona. 
um, chiefly among them. But the Manchester City side of it is is very, very interesting yes. to me as well. Um, because, okay, let's let's pretend for a second that the 700 million is wiped away and it is in fact, he's able to leave on a free. Um, okay. That's great. But like, how are, there are reports that Lionel Messi makes a hundred million euros a season when you combine, he does when you combine his image rights with his player, actual player salary, a hundred million a season. Think about that. Well, no, I mean, Barcelona are are on the hook for a hundred million, give or take with this guy. Right. Just look at the club on its own. Yeah. I mean, just think about like when we found out that Patrick Mahomes was going to make 40 million, our jaws were on the floor. Right. Messi is more than double that. Yeah. So now you're talking about, even if there's no transfer fee involved, you're talking about Manchester City being the chief target for him to land and them also coincidentally being the team that was just, just under intense scrutiny of financial fair play laws. So how... Even if there's no transfer fee, just simply bringing somebody on the books, assuming that Messi is not going to be willing to take that much of a pay decrease. Let's say he goes from 100 and he's willing to bring it down to 90. I mean, like, and Manchester City, the wages that they're paying their players are probably already astronomical. I just wonder, like you said, they're going to have to do some fancy footwork in their accounting. I, I don't know. Well, Chelsea are doing it right now. Um, if 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 you go online and you and you look at the the brilliant Swiss ramble. On, on Twitter, who is basically breaking down how Chelsea are spending 200-odd million this, or could potentially, if all the signings come through, and we believe Kai Havertz is, is having a medical in London in the next few days, if that's true, um, how are they spending 200 million and staying within financial fair play this summer? Well, okay, most transfers are paid out over a period of years. It's not one lump sum. And if you read Swiss Ramble's thread on Chelsea and how they do things, and how uh, the, as as Swiss Ramble calls it, the Bank of Roman Abramovich can pump pump money into the club as equity, then there is a way to do this. Now, who has the money? It's only a select few clubs, and Manchester City are top of the pile. City can do this, Andrew. It would not be in keeping with their general model. Have they paid tons of money for lots of players? Yes, but not this kind of not this kind of way. Oh, no, this this is unprecedented. The, the, I mean, the kind of wages they're talking about is, is yeah, unprecedented. And, and, by, and by the way, with Chelsea, I would think it's a, at least a little bit different because they didn't really have an opportunity to spend the Eden Hazard money from when he went to Real Madrid because right. they had the transfer ban. A huge part of, of, of Chelsea's bookkeeping, you're correct, is is player sales. And according to Swiss Ramble, they've done serious, seriously well out of even the Maratta sale, which is, I mean, a good way... Wow. Of doing business, so but 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 that's what makes the Manchester City situation so interesting to me is because okay, bring him in. How many, not just good players, but how many potentially great players will have to be shown the door to make that work financially for City? Like I've seen some reports about Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, uh, you know, players of that caliber. Them guys might want to go because they might they may not play so much except in in, in a cold wet night at Scunthorpe in the Carabao Cup. Here's the thing for me though. I'm I'm fascinated by I, I say I'm fascinated by the bookkeeping element of it. I am. How how do clubs make this work? And I do read them, but player amortization and all, and things like that are above my head. I'm I'm not that's not really what what floats my boat. What really has me up all night about this is if you think about Pep Guardiola and Lionel Messi's 
uh, relationship. So they shared the best years together. There's no question. The, the the key years of both each other's careers were were probably when they were together. And, you know, things didn't work out at the end and Pep goes away on his sabbatical and, and here we are right now, so many years later, almost a, almost a decade later. But what's interesting for me is Pep Guardiola and his system to find, for me, just looking at City, how do you fit in a player that doesn't run? How do you fit in a player who won't work like everybody else? How do you fit in a player who will take large parts of a game to stroll around? Now, people can say to me, he's the best player in the world and he comes alive when he's on the ball and he, he'll just see things that other players won't see. Absolutely, 100% correct. But I wonder how does that change the dynamic? How does it change the dynamic of a team that really needs help at centre-back, maybe help in, in, in the wide areas and another midfielder? You know, it's it makes City, it gives City a gravitas in the game that they've never had, even... well that they are slowly been building over 10 years. But it would having the best player in the world at their team, it makes total sense on one hand. And on the other hand, I don't know how it works into, into the team dynamic or ethic. Now, uh, Ken Early did a good piece where he said, Pep Guardiola is best positioned to hide the weaknesses of Messi and to, and to work up his strengths. So maybe Pep is such a good manager that he will fit in Messi and the pressing side and the work side and the positional side and the huge tactical and positional work that, that Pep does will not need to be applied to Messi because he'll be able to cover that, that area of the game. I get everything you're saying. They're, they're totally valid points, but I, I do think that you are placing too much emphasis on some of Messi's drawbacks and not enough focus on just what you're getting when you get this guy. We're talking about, I mean, look, had the Ballon d'Or happened, he probably would have been runner up to Lewandowski, right? Mm. We're talking about a guy who is still at his age and whatever decreased running you're talking about is still the second best player probably in the world. Yeah. And and might on a different day in a different year might still be the best player in the world. Um, I don't know if the balance, if this year's Ballon d'Or is the best gauge, I'm still comfortable calling him the best player in the world. So like I, I, I don't like I I don't I think you're you're almost making it sound like too much of a, of a negative to bring him into your system. And by the way, let's so let's talk about Manchester City and the players who would undoubtedly still be there. <clears throat> Raheem Sterling is one of the most active players in the league. Like Messi will be coming into a side that where he will be surrounded by guys who do do the running. Yeah, and and like I said, Andrew, I said Barcelona can still be successful if they can get legs in the team. Um, we see Rakitic moving on today, by the way, which was interesting. Yeah, back to Sevilla. Back to Sevilla. So, you know, maybe I am overthinking it. You know, maybe maybe there is quite an easy way to to accommodate the best player in the world. Here's what's interesting for me. Um, Simon Cooper was talking to OTB AM in Ireland this morning, and he was he's doing a book on Barcelona right now. I want everyone needs to go and listen to that interview after they've listened to this podcast. Go and listen to that interview online. But here he is talking about Messi and managers, and it kind of speaks a little bit to your point. Maybe none of this matters when it comes to Messi. Have a listen. Why do you say Messi doesn't care too much who the coach is? Messi sees football as the, a player's game. He thinks if you have great players on the field, like Barcelona did with you know Xavi and Iniesta and Neymar and Suarez, they'll sort it out. He, he doesn't particularly care much about any kind of tactical briefings by a coach. Okay. 
He just wants the coach to let him play football. Okay. I guess maybe that's, that's unbelievable to me. I he mean, goes it's on. shocking. It's not shocking, but it's, 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 <laughs> I mean, it kind of flies in the face of what we heard when Sampaioli was was manager of Argentina and how him and Messi were like texting each other and they were almost twin managers during that that World Cup um, that World Cup in in twenty eighteen, which obviously didn't work out well. But um, but like, yeah, you see why a great like I can actually understand why a a truly transcendent player would feel that way because if you're talking about a manager who's trying to lay down like a, a, that's very tactical in nature and very plotting with how they're going to go about it like and you're messy and you know what you're capable of i could see him thinking why are you trying to rein me in why are you trying to label me as a certain position or why are you trying to play me here i should just be allowed to do what i do and we'll be fine just let me be me cooper says exactly what you're saying andrew and uh he goes on to say that who sees the game better than messi the manager or messi himself or another player messi sees things on the pitch the manager can't possibly see he sees passing lanes he sees runs he sees all these kind of things all the opportunities all the all the possibilities that can happen flash through his mind in a nanosecond as he receives the ball or goes to get into position and a manager can't do that uh, well it's it's what when we had graham hunter on recently it's it's what he said in a more eloquent way when he was when he essentially said Messi speaks a language that is very difficult for others to interpret. Yeah. And Graham was saying that, you know, like Neymar, Luis Suarez, in that time, the MSN, like those guys spoke the language of Messi and they were, and you saw what the results were. Yeah. Maybe Antoine Griezmann doesn't. Maybe Philip Coutinho did not. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's hard. And you can't really know it, I suppose. Like once Messi shows up at Manchester City, should that happen? It's very easy for us to say, oh, it's a bunch of great players. Like I can't, to me, Kevin De Bruyne is also a footballing genius. Right. It, it, he seems like somebody to me who would speak that language. But I, I don't know. you see it in action. Like does, does Sergio Aguero, you know, Messi and Aguero are great friends from their time at Argentina, but how much success have they had alongside one another? I, yeah, it's it's just for me. I look at, at, at Messi and Guardiola and the stages they are in their career and do they want to be reunited? Like Messi had the formative years of his career with this guy, this super intense guy. You've seen the training sessions. I've been at a training session and it was only one for the media. And even still, it was pretty intricate. I But we've seen the training sessions, particularly um, on the uh, Amazon Prime documentary. Andrew, the, the field is divided up into squares a la Bielsa. And there's there's like the ball will move and suddenly the whistle goes and this intense little jack-in-the-box, this baldy, tanned man will jump out and start pu- pulling players around and getting in their faces and telling them about runs, what foot to receive the ball on, body shape, all this, this kind of intensity. At 33, Messi coming into this. I like I would be I would be drained by it. He's a draining figure to me. I know, but there will be no surprises. Messi wants this and he knows exactly who it is that he's signing up to, to Andrew, play with. Andrew, outside of your suggestion, I think PSG in some kind of dispatches or rumors have distanced themselves saying they can't do this. They they can't bring him in, which I, I don't believe. I, I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe there's maybe there's something else we don't see. But apart from the way you laid out how PSG would be a fit for him. I think outside of that, and probably more so, like Man City is a great fit for him. It, it would be. Um, all jokes aside about can he do it on a wet night in Stoke, you know, 
I I think it would be the only plausible fit outside of PSG. Yeah, I can't. I really think that's it. Even if that even if that transfer figure is reduced to zero, um, you know there well, might be other. No, maybe I, Manchester United would dance around it, and maybe that's why they've been hesitant to dive into other deals so far as they're waiting to see what happens there. But just his his weekly wage, I just think is going to rule out too many clubs. Right. I just don't know how they're going to be able to pay him. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's fascinating. I, I can't wait to see how it plays out with um, Messi's father meeting with the club tomorrow because um, who knows? Tomorrow, Wednesday could be the day where there's some kind of resolution here. I, I doubt it. I highly doubt it. I think that there will be lawyers, but we'll get some news out of tomorrow. That's for sure. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this. Of course, this is not this is not going away anytime soon. Um, I'll tell you what, we'll take a very, very quick break. When we come back on the other side, we'll speak with Alex Vayar of the Salt Lake Tribune to talk about what has happened with Real Salt Lake and their ownership, Deloy Hansen. It has been it has been an ugly week in uh, in Utah. Stay tuned for that. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now, caught offside. JJ, we talked about this before. It has been it has been an ugly and bizarre week with uh, Real Salt Lake, um, with their ownership situation uh, that has kind of been a dark cloud over this club for the past week and a half or so. And we're going to talk more about that right now with Alex Vehar of Salt Lake Tribune, who covers Real Salt Lake. Alex, what's up? How are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining. I, I guess let's just start from the beginning here. So just for the for the uninitiated, for those who have not been keeping tabs, what happened with Real Salt Lake owner Delloy Hansen to spark this controversy? Yeah, so it pretty much started Thursday morning. Uh, you know, Wednesday evening, RSL and LAFC were scheduled to play a game. That was the same day that, uh, you know, the NBA postponed their games and WNBA because of the, uh, you know, the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Washington. And pretty much just a bunch of sport leagues decided, you know, they're not going to play games today. And RSL and LAFC and other MLS clubs were part of that. The morning after, um, the owner, Delo Hansen, goes on a radio show, uh, that's owned by him uh, and just kind of says that, you know, he was disappointed in what happened, disappointed in the players, you know, kind of said that, you know, he thought that they were paying more attention to the national conversation and didn't really care that much about, you know, the city, uh, the fans, you know, he kind of intimated that he wouldn't invest financially in the club anymore. He said that he was going to have to fire 40 or 50 people he said that, um, you know, that, that he felt like profound disappointment and as if it was kind of like a, like a personal slight against him. That was, that was the message. And that, I mean, that created a lot of backlash. I mean, from there, there are a few high profile athletes that said, Hey, if, if you, if this is too much for you or whatever, you know, just sell the team. And, uh, one of the defenders on the team, Neda Monooha, um, was kind of like a leader in the locker room. He spoke to BBC and said, I don't want to be here if this is what our owner is going to be like, if these are the the opinions he's going to have. And so Deloitte Hansen then gets on a radio show later and sort of tries to apologize. Didn't really, it kind of fell on deaf ears, really. Um, and later that same day, there's a, an article in The Athletic that comes out that just has all of these anecdotes about racist comments that that Hansen has made throughout the years uh of him owning RSL and you know that leads to 
to an investigation by both uh, Major League Soccer and the National Women's Soccer League. Uh, the next day, Friday, he says, I'm taking leave of absence while these allegations are sort of happening. RSL still travels uh, to their Portland game on Saturday while this is happening. And Sunday morning is when uh, the statements are released that, uh, that Deloitte Hansen is going to sell Utah Soccer Holdings, which includes RSL, uh, the Royals and the USL team, the the Royal Monarchs. Alex, I'm, I'm I'm curious about this because it all came out suddenly in one burst in a flood, and it was clear that some people had information about uh, Mr. Hansen prior to this that he had been he had used uh, racial epithets and and done some things that were um, derogatory behind the scenes, and people knew about it. Um, but what was the general perception of him as an owner? Did people know about maybe his political stance or did people, was there any indication that he felt this way about protests or, or anything across his career? Or was this the first signs when he did that radio interview? In terms of the protests and his potential political leanings, I don't think that, I mean, that might've been known by people who work with him all the time or know him personally. I didn't really ever hear uh, stories about that. Mostly what I have gotten in regards to Deloitte Hansen over the last couple of years that I've covered the team is that he's kind of like a micromanager. He doesn't let people that he hires do their job. You know, he, he wants his, he wants his say in, in, in parts of the organization where an owner generally wouldn't be there. You know, it's, I, I heard from, from a former employee who said that there are a couple of them actually who said that, uh, he would almost want to play scout when when kind of figuring out which players were going to be good to bring to RSL or not to bring. And, you know, from what I understand, Deloitte Hansen doesn't really have a soccer background. He's a soccer fan, but, you know, not one that would, not a background that would incorporate him evaluating talent. So that seemed like a kind of like a source of frustration um, within the front office over the years. Um, but in terms of, you know, the whole protest and stuff, I mean, what he said in the second radio interview is that he sort of didn't really understand why the players were protesting in the moment. That's how he explained it. Right. And in the moment he was sort of focusing on the people in the stands, the people who, you know, traveled great distance to see this game. It was going to be RSL's first home game since March. So it was a big deal, especially for uh, an organization that relies so much on, on ticket revenue. Right. So to not have, game go on to, to him was kind of like well you're sort of disappointing the fans and he didn't really stop to think um you know the players are you know they want to play but this moment is bigger than that right now to, to give him his due uh you've you of course uh, can see online the letter that he he sent to the rsl staff and 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 playing staff in particular where he was um very clear about how he felt about Neda Manua, how much he respected him. So, I mean, it's, it seems like, uh, it seems like this was, um, I don't know, a man, a, a, a complex man in, in many ways. I suppose it's worth noting as well, Alex, that today uh, chief business officer, Andy Carroll is taking a leave of absence. Can you explain exactly why that's happening? Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So last night there was an article that came out on, um, one of the blogs here that covers the team, RSL Soapbox, that had a couple people on the record, a few um, sort of anonymous kind of saying that uh, the workplace environment at RSL is toxic because of 
the way that Andy Carroll sort of manages everybody, you know, there were allegations of uh, sexist comments and kind of like berating or belittling um, uh, staff members and, you know, all across the organization, sponsorship people or media people or what have you. Um, today, I've spent, I spent a lot of today uh, talking to some people who have confirmed a lot of these stories that came out in that article. So, um, you know, those things do seem to have happened. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's just kind of like another thing where if, if people find out about that stuff, you know, it's going to come out sooner or later. And it's with everything that's going on with the organization right now, it's not that surprising that it comes out about Andy Carroll, who kind of the same in the same vein as Deloitte Hansen, these things have been known for years. It's just that people have been afraid to speak up until now. Uh, Alex, in terms of new prospective ownership, uh, I saw you post about JJ Watt. I've seen that story circulating. Just how just how serious is his involvement with with getting a group together to buy the team? Yeah. So the only the only things that I've seen are what he tweets, which is basically you know he thinks that this is a good market. Uh, his wife is from here. Uh, I believe her name is Kayla. And, um, you know, he, I think he said the other day, like, you know, he's been to Rio Tinto stadium. He wants to help grow the women's game and, and all that stuff. So from those statements, he seems pretty serious about it. I mean, there are other, there are a couple local groups as well who are, who have expressed interest in buying the team. And, you know, um, Josie Altador, he says that he has a group ready to buy the team. So, I mean, there are a few that, have come out and said, "Hey, we'll, we'll do this." Alex, I'm I'm curious because it it makes me uncomfortable to think of U.S. soccer fans, MLS fans, U.S. soccer club fans as a monolith that they all think the same. Uh, Brian Strauss in Sports Illustrated wrote this: Hansen's downfall makes clear that buying into MLS into U.S. soccer means embracing or at least quietly tolerating the progressive culture that comes with it. And I'm curious about that progressive culture in a place like Utah and specifically Salt Lake with its fan base. Would you say that RSL's fan base fits neatly alongside the obviously progressive cultures in we'll say Portland and at LAFC? Uh, that's an interesting question. I would say for the most part, yes. Uh, Salt Lake city is a more liberal area of Utah, um, compared to other ones. I've lived here two years. Um, and that's something that's just very plain. You know, they have, you know, Salt Lake city has the annual, pride parade, you know, there's, there's more culture here. I mean, I, in terms of owning a team here, yes, I would say so. Um, I'm sure though, that there are fans who side with Deloitte Hansen, um, on this stuff, you know, they're upset about the players and, uh, you know, I know that there, there are executives who are, may, might be kind of tired of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, executives within RSL. So, I mean, it's, yes, to answer your question, yes, I would say that it probably does fall more within the progressive side of things, but um, I'm sure that there are conservative people as well who don't agree with that. Fascinating stuff. Alex Vehar will continue reading your stuff over the Salt Lake Tribune uh, and on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Alex. Uh, yeah, this 
the story, you know, you, you brought up the apology letter because he, he had the second radio interview, which kind of rang hollow for people. But then the letter that I believe was leaked that was sent to employees and players. Yeah. Um, and it was there were there were parts of it where he singles out Anuha specifically. He's the only person he mentions by name in the article. It was interesting. I mean, that paragraph struck me. Um, I'll read I'll read it quickly. I recognize the value of all manner of diversity and will double my personal effort to seek equality and peace in our society and the world at large. Our nation needs to be challenged to this end. You are the leaders in that effort, and I completely failed in supporting you. I will not repeat that failure. Nedim Anuha is one of the finest men that I have ever met. To him, I offer my sincerest apology for not being an owner he can believe in. He is right, and please accept my acknowledgement of that failure. So, I mean, I thought that was fairly striking. I'm not making excuses for the guy or the things he said or done. They're unacceptable. Um, but as far as apologies go that I've read, it, it is a bit more, um, how shall we put it? It's it's a bit more in depth. He, he seems to have thought a little bit about and he's admitted failures as well. It, it, he's not, I mean, look, let, let's just be honest. I'm not saying it makes up for anything that he said or did, but in terms of apologies, it, it comes off as genuine. Uh, whether or not does. it is, only he can tell you. Um, but I it, think the most genuine thing he's done is realized I can't be the leader that my staff and players need me to be. I'm not capable of it right now. I failed in that regard, which he has said. And now I'm going to sell the club to someone who can, which is, I think, a good thing. Yeah. I mean, look, ultimately, like as it, we talk about him selling the club like it's some punishment. And obviously, it's not a thing he wanted to do. He wants to continue owning the team. I'm sure this never would have happened had these mm. comments not come to light. Um, however, he'll, he's going to make a lot of money selling them. Uh, yeah, but it's a valuable property. I mean, there's a lot of money being put into the club by him, the academy and the training center. I think the training center and academy together are worth something like $78 million. Um, but look, you know, we're at a moment in, 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 in this country and at this time where we need people who, if you don't understand, are at least making the efforts to try and understand what is happening. And I think in that, um, regard, he was publicly remiss. And also the other things that are going on behind the scenes are not acceptable. So, yeah, it, it just, it would be hard to envision future players wanting to go play for that man. No, I mean... If, so, his, so his situation there becomes untenable, if yeah, that's the case. Right, and a, a leader in the locker room like Neda Manua, his words carry weight, and his words also carry weight to those people who would be coming in from outside and see RSL as a, as a good landing spot for them in their careers. They're not going to go... They're not going to not... They are not going to want to play for someone like him. So there we are. Yeah, uh, we'll get back to some European stuff in a moment. The Donny van de Beek uh, possible signing for Manchester United that we talked about. Arsenal, their success in the Community Shield uh, over Liverpool. But while we're talking MLS, we may as well stick with that for a sec because obviously the regular season has resumed. Um, I have a few things here that have just kind of caught my eye as the games are now coming. Well, I was going to say fast and furious, although they're not really a bit of the break last the unexpected <laughs> break last week. Um, but but a couple of things here that I'll start with. Um, and I'll start in the, in the great, in the great white North, I believe is what they refer to it. Right. Is that what people call Minnesota? Uh, I don't sure. Why not? So I'll say that this caught my eye, the, um, that they have finally signed Emmanuel Reynoso from Boca juniors, because this has been going on now since February. Yeah. Um, and it's now finally done and you can see that there is a forward momentum happening with that club that is clear as day from the, 
playoff appearance last season to them following that up with a final four finish in the MLS's back tournament to now bringing in this designated player signing in Reynoso as a number 10, who is going to be attack minded. He's going to be fun to watch. It's, it's a, a huge signing for a club like them. They're, they're playing great right now so far in the restart. I believe they're third in the West. So like forward momentum, it is, they can see that this is a good team we have here. And who knows, maybe Reynoso is a, is a piece that they can slot in that kind of takes them to an even higher level. I also think like the age profile of the player, 24 years of age, I believe he is. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just prime getting his best years. It's, it's a great signing. Something that stood out for me, Andrew, and, and look, I'm not going to say that Bob Bradley is a bad manager because he's not. He clearly isn't. His resume is there to be seen. He's done a lot of great things in international soccer, in the club game here, in the club game in France, club game in Norway, fine. But he has got to be absolutely raging, and I think he is, with that defending that's gone on. Five goals conceded in the last two games, some absolutely atrocious defending against Seattle in that 3-1 defeat. This just isn't good enough. And it always makes me wonder about managers. I I know the loss of Zimmerman over the, you know, over the break was something that we even flagged that was going to be difficult for, for, for Los Angeles to, for LAFC to, to absorb. But it always makes me wonder how top managers who've had to be, you know, resourceful in the past, who've not always had the best talent at their, at their disposal, which would be for the, for the large part of, of Bob Bradley's career, that's been the case, how we can't organize this back, this back four, this back three, however he wants to play it, to be better. And you saw it in the MLS's back tournament cup championship. It's every game. We saw it before MLS went to break with Philadelphia going out there and scoring three again. And it's, it's, they're such a sieve, Andrew, a total sieve. They've, I mean, this, it, I think he's got the hard part of the, of the equation, right? The attacking part, they will score goals. He needs to find a way to gel and to, to make them, you know, just harder to score against because they are, like I said, they're complete sieve. Yeah. By the way, from that game, uh, the LAFC Seattle game that you're talking about, I'm wondering, can you make, you know how you have your Jossie's artist hymn? Hmm. Can you make a hymn about me and my love of Jordan Morris? Uh, a hymn from church for you. and uh, He scored two goals in a minute to kind of turn that game on its head in the 48th and 49th minutes. I think technically it was like, I saw somebody timed out as like a minute and 37 seconds or something between goals. It is I, Lord, Jordan Morris. I have come in from the wing and I am scoring. I will lead you if you pick me, Greg Berhalter. I shall take this team to the World Cup. I appreciate your effort, but that is nothing in comparison with your Zardis hymns. And I know Jossie's Zardis. Yeah. yeah, but Jossie Zardis is the hallelujah. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's right there. Well, we, you can't have more than one. Somebody tweeted the other day, there is nothing, nothing more Irish than walking down the street and then out of nowhere, a random hymn from church popping into your head that's stuck there for the rest of the day. It's yeah. so true. I uh, I say, yeah, but I cannot relate. I'm not Irish, nor am I Catholic. Um, but Jordan Morris, like I just, it's become so repetitive, but like he, he had the two goals in a minute. He probably also could have had a couple assists in that game. I just, 
I just love them. I just love them. One other thing I want to mention, they're a great game tomorrow night. Uh, Columbus Crew against the Philadelphia Union. Both teams have, uh, I believe that's number two versus number three right now in the East. Union picking up right where they left off at the end of the uh, at the end of the MLS's back tournament. They just blew DC United away the other day. Scored three goals in like the first twenty minutes. Uh, Columbus, though, I want to talk about them. Jim Curtin, in previewing this game, had some comments about Darlington Nagby. Um, uh, Jim Curtin, like he went full throttle in his praise here. Oh. Um, he said that uh, right now he's the best midfielder that the United States has. And I was thinking about that after he said it. And <laughs> we've got a uh, we've got Tyler Adam at uh, Tyler Adams at at RB Leipzig mm-hmm. scoring in the Champions League quarterfinal. We've got Weston McKinney <laughs> signing <laughs> for Juventus. I mean, okay. What's in front of you is always what you see and he sees MLS right in front of his eyes. He comes up against this player regularly. I don't agree with it, but, you know, okay. Curtin, uh, he went on to say, in talking about how you try to stop Nagby, he said, you want to do a lot before he gets on the ball. Once he gets on the ball, it's too late. Then it's survival mode. You want to make sure he passes sideways or backwards. That's a success. Uh, regardless of what you think of Nagby in comparison with McKinney, or Adams, or I mean, I'll, I'll throw Gio Reyna's name in the mix, but I don't know if he's quite, if we could quite say that just yet. Reyna's still so young. Um, I'll say this: it would, it would really be great if we could get this guy back in the national team picture. Look, um, I, I, I agree with that. I think he's a, he's a good player. I think he's a player who can um, look as talented as we think we are right now. By the way, there's been a plethora since McKenney joined Juventus of, of uh, potential. U.S. men's national teams with all our players from Europe. Yeah. N- nary an MLS guy in it. But let's be honest, um, old Triple G is going to play MLS guys way more than you think. And a lot of the guys we're talking about in Europe have yet to break into regular senior football. So as long as that remains, you want to have the cream of the crop from MLS. And ergo, that is Darlington Nagby. That's an equation I'm afraid people need to get their heads around. Yeah, and by the way, we should also mention, like, okay, it's all fine and good to lay out your perfect 11 on a perfect day. Has this team ever been fully healthy? No, and no team ever ever is. Right, no one is, of course. Uh, By the way, I got very excited, very excited last year with the Irish under-21s beating Italy. And I did a team, Andrew, with um, Jason Malumbi in it and Troy Parrott and Matt Darty and all these guys – and I guarantee you, I may never see that team kick a ball together because it's just not the way w- football works. It's not the way life works either. No, no, it's really not. But you mentioned Matt Doherty. One other thing on him. I saw we got a tweet the other day um, of somebody talking about the way the Irish pronounce the last yeah. name Doherty. I've always said in, in the United States, you hear Doherty as the pronunciation. Right. But sometimes you'll slip into it. I hear other people on TV. Doherty. They're calling they say Doherty. They, they, almost Doherty. Make it a, they almost make it a, a CK instead of the H. He gets from the English commentators. We sound like Grant Wall now. This is his bugbear. If you get a name, if a, if an English commentator mispronounces a Spanish name, Grant is straight to the Twitter feed. 
Well, I'm not saying anybody's misper. No, it's happening. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing because people rip me all the time for the way I I pronounce things. I think this is this is an international game. People, we all have different dialects with how we say different words. People need to understand that. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying, like the way it's pronounced is interesting. In England, he gets Doherty. It's Doherty. 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 You were saying it right. Well, in the United States, I think it's usually. Doherty. I, I can't. I mean, what you guys have done to certain Irish names. Mahoney. Mahoney. Yeah, I'll ho- never. Ho- Horan. Horan. That's ho- it. What? What Lindsay, is that? Lindsay Horan. Oh, no. Yeah. What? Well, isn't, it, that, isn't that how she pronounces her own name? Yeah. What well, are you criticizing? I mean, she's getting it wrong. I'm just... <laughs> what an unbelievably arrogant comment. Um, by the way, speaking of this, JJ, so I guess now that Jack Grealish has been called into the England side, we can finally stop people tweeting that you know it's not too late for Ireland. Well, uh, yeah, and actually on a point of order, once you've signed the forms to say you were declaring, they, it's called a one-time change of mind form, meaning it's one time. It was done anyway. Right. But now it's really done. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I'm saying this in jest. Like, yeah. it must be so annoying for an Irish person like yourself who would love Jack Grealish to be on the team to constantly have to be answering yeah. these tweets that are Whoa. just patently false and wrong. Like, it's over, yeah. people. It's over. He's yeah. playing for England. Declan, right? I mean, once Declan, uh, Grealish was bad enough, but Grealish at least only took underage caps. He never took senior caps. Old Decky Rice had three senior caps. Three international caps and then decided, ooh, England were in a World Cup semi-final. He did the meme. He did the meme, the boyfriend and girlfriend meme walking down the street where the guy um, is ho- like, he, like he's holding yeah, yeah, the Republic. Yeah, you, you, you understand. Yeah. There we are. Uh, let's see a couple other things here. Um, we've been talking about this. So it's not done yet, but Manchester United are being talked about for uh, potentially, I've seen 40 million as the figure for... Uh, Donny Van de Beek of yes. Ajax. Um, what an interesting move that would be for a club that is fairly crowded in that part of the field. Now, in looking at, at Van de Beek, the thing that you see about him is that while I personally, just from having watched their games in the Champions League, I've always viewed him as much more of an attack-minded player. Correct. But the, but the more you kind of dive in and read about him, one of the things he's lauded for is his versatility in the midfield. Yeah, he'll uh, work. He'll track back. He'll try and make tackles. Right. So, like, if you talk about, you know, Ole wanting to play a 4-2-3-1, yes. like, Van de Beek could possibly be one of those two midfielders shielding the defense. Again, it's not, it's just, I don't know, it's not the role that I would have viewed for him. I think he's, I think he's just a really bright player in attack, and he could still be that from that role. But if you put them, if you put him in there with guys like Bruno Fernandez and Pogba uh, already on the side, and you know we know who they have up front and Rashford, Martial, and Greenwood, it just I don't know what he, if his role is going to be more of a gritty defensive one. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know either. I, I I honestly think if you're buying him to be grit- grittily defensive, with the, when you think about the amount of shots he gets in and how he gets past the forwards into the box, that's a waste. He's not Matic. He's not. He's not. No. Repl- he's not the final replacement for Michael Carrick or Roy Keane or any other weird thing I've seen. Yeah, Manchester United fans tweet. He won't do that. I mean, uh, he can. Well, he do- might, but I. He but I wonder do- if you're taking away his greatest strengths. I to ask him to do those things. I. 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 I totally agree with you. Um, it. It all depends. Like the the numbers don't work. Someone's going to lose out, and it all depends how they want to configure that midfield and that attack. Is it going to be? Ollie has gone between four two three one, and he's gone into maybe a four three three. I think if they can go on now and get 
Umpanacano from Leipzig, um, or Upamacano from Leipzig. I'm uh, that's going to be another one that uh, that's my Doherty. Um, then that's going to be. I, I mean, that is that is a brilliant signing for me, and that would make this a brilliant window for United. I uh, but as far as Van um, Van de Beek, I I can't get over the fact they're getting this guy for forty million. This is an absolute steal. It's great work from United, and we rarely say that. Yeah, uh, he's a player that I really, really think highly of. Um, so if it if it does officially happen, we're kind of keeping our eyes open for that. I saw this, I think this was at Sky Sports, uh, in writing about him, they said, uh, former Ajax assistant manager Dennis Bergkamp had him pegged, him being Vandebeek, as a special talent at a young age. In quotes carried by the Daily Mail, Frank DeBoer, who Bergkamp worked under at the club, recalled, Dennis started talking enthusiastically about a talent in his youth team. It was a boy who reminded Dennis of himself at that age. That was the signal for me to keep an eye on that guy. That guy was Donnie. He's definitely not Bergkamp. <laughs> Let's say you're going to put Bergkamp in the defensive midfield. <laughs> but uh, you know, he's he's because of the position or the way he plays, he's got so much more of an engine than Bergkamp would have. He's way more box to box than Bergkamp is. Um He's got it. He's got a lot. He really has got a lot. Uh, but say they don't get Umpa Meccano, right? You're going to have that worry about that back four, and you're going to want some of the shield there. And I'm not sure when Donny is caught up the field making one of his forays into the opposition box that that midfield is going to look quite what you want. But let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm. If I'm a Man United fan, I'm. I'm very, very enthusiastic about this. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to pour cold water on it. Just no, I'm not no, sure no. what the formation is going to be. He's a brilliant young player. Yeah. Um, JJ Arsenal winning the Community Shield. Are you okay? What is this? What did this do to your weekend? Did it? Did it hurt it? Or I mean, you- I mean, it's it's look the the Community Shield was always something that you'd like to win when you were in it but if you don't win it you don't mind like Liverpool won the league last season and they lost the community shield it's it's a glorified friendly but the most important thing about it was it was a trip to Wembley for four, for two teams and it was the natural curtain raiser to the league season and because of the way things have fallen this year it didn't feel like that so in losing it I'm not that bothered um you know you want to win games but I'm, I'm not going to cry over it no no, you already did that. I my tears have already crying. been shed. My ducks are empty. <laughs> um, let's talk about Arsenal though for a second here. Yes, right. So FA Cup, Community Shield, whatever you, however you may value that. Couple signings. Uh, seeing today that Danny Ceballos's loan is going to be renewed. It looks like for another season, which is certainly important. Yeah. Um, you know, we had mixed feelings about it, but ultimately, Willian on a free is not. It's not a bad move. Okay, you know, it, it's it's another asset on your club. Um, and then in the back and defense, of course, which is a huge issue for Arsenal. Uh, Gabriel's signing is now official from Lille. Um, and it looks like William Saliba, who was at Saint Etienne on loan, is going to be coming back to Arsenal, also in central defense. So I think if we're looking at Arsenal right now and we see where they've been the last couple seasons, where they finished this season, if you go from FA Cup up through the signings, everything I just mentioned, are we looking at some uh, some forward momentum here? I think so. I mean, the problem for me is it, it it is kind of still hard to tell because Wembley has been such a happy hunting ground and in semifinals and cup games and one-off games, they've cup finals, they've excelled because... I, I, those are such different entities as games. But what you'd really like to see, 
and what you'd hope to see if you're an Arsenal fan is like solid form across the first 10 league games of the season, then you'd really feel uh, momentum coming on. But what I like about them, Andrew, is like, look how much more resolute they are. Look how much better they are. Like, for example, the goal, um, which everyone's been talking about, the Aubameyang goal and the way it was played out from the back. Now, it breaks down at one point. Uh, the Arsenal defender who who gets the ball, when I say breaks down, I, the Liverpool press breaks down. The Arsenal player that gets the ball has his back. He's in the penalty box, has his back to the play. Milner's got to be in there quicker. But nevertheless, Arsenal play out from the back, play through the lines, get it across, lovely ball sweeping across to Aubameyang and a great goal. That's that's a super goal. That gives you that gives you a sense that this team is going somewhere. But mostly for me, it's the fact that they can defend. They look solid, shall I say? Liverpool were missing players. That is a that is a point. They were missing a creative force in Trent Alexander-Arnold. They had a little bit of inexperience in the side in Nico Williams. That said, Arsenal showed me something that we have never associated with them for almost a decade, and that's resiliency. And we've seen it across those cup finals. Now they got to take it into a league game. That's what they have to do. Yeah, and that, you're right. Forward momentum or not, like I would say, forward momentum is is it's unmistakable right now. Keeping Aubameyang, uh, bringing in these new players, these these trophies that they've now accumulated, uh, sure. But you're, they're going to be judged on what they do in the league with how that's gone from the past few seasons. They're gonna, there's going to have to be market improvement uh, for us to really be able to say that. Uh, I, I I can't believe I'm doing this, but I think I think we got to do this now, JJ. Can I join you for it as well? I know our our intro man, he leaves me out. He doesn't care for me. And Andrew Gundling. Yeah, so you you had assigned, I guess, both of us homework. Well, stuff that people want to hear us talk about. Right. I say homework. Like, you know, I would watch the uh, All or Nothing I'll watch it 10 times over. The Anelka documentary was one that wasn't really on my radar. Anelka misunderstood on Netflix. Um, so uh, we both watched it and I would say it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my takeaways from it are a couple things about him specifically. He is an interesting figure. That is true. Um, I would say he's got a little bit He's got a little bit of a Balotelli thing going. Like, remember the Balotelli, why, why always me? Yeah, the world um, is against him. Right, like there, he's got a little bit of that. And I would say it's not that he's a bad guy. I think he's got a little bit of a problem with authority figures that maybe he doesn't respect. Like we've all, we've all in our lives, I think at some point or another, had a boss that we just didn't like. But it is your boss and some, you got to fake it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, he's not that guy. No. For better or worse. No, and I think... I th- The problem with this documentary for me was that we didn't examine or get into... Because it, I felt like it was an Anelka production for Anelka Pictures, sponsored by it Nicholas. It was. N- I, it seemed like it was. Yeah. We never got into a lot of things in any depth. Like, it was a timeline and, and things kind of got glossed over. Like, for example, he had such a successful time at uh, at Liverpool, Andrew. I remember that time very well. And we were all excited about the fact he was going to sign on. And Gerard Houllier makes a charge in the documentary that his brothers were shopping him out to every big club while Liverpool were trying to negotiate with them. And Houllier said, no, I don't like this. It's underhand. Let's let him move on. And 
the narrator or the the, the producer, the director never asks Anelka, was, did your brothers do that? Right. You know, what did they do? Were you being shopped to every big club? Cause I reckon he was. Well, that's <laughs> the thing is like, it kind of leads you to, to a natural conclusion. Yeah. Because remember what he says about ending up at Man City, by the way, <laughs> what a burn he has for Man City. He goes, I ended up at Manchester City. Nobody bigger would take me. So I said, why not? Which was... <laughs> Little did he know he'd be at Bolton soon enough. And that's my next problem with it, Andrew. Right. It's an unbelievable meshing together of Sam Allardyce and this exotic, skillful, talented player. And he doesn't talk about it. How in the name of God do you go from being in the Champions League final with Real Madrid, one of the young stars of European football, and you go to Bolton Wanderers in the middle of your career, your peak years? How does that happen? How did you like playing under Sam Allardyce? Long ball football. How did you like the cold nights in Lancashire? None of it. We don't talk about it. It's glossed over. Also, another thing that was unsatisfactory. So, he he was talking about the fascist anti-Semitic symbol that he flashed while he was playing for West Brom after the manager at the time, Steve Clark, had been sacked because Steve Clark had dropped him, right? And his explanation for doing the Quinell was because he wanted to get back at Steve Clark. What's that got to do with anything? I wondered that too. These are very astute criticisms from you yeah it made no sense that's not an explanation of anything right why would that have been an offensive for steve clark right i mean all all very strange very strange and 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 yeah i you know the walking through the desert at the start of it you know trying to picture this lonely misunderstood guy i'll tell you what was unfair uh just to before we get on to tottenham the the le keep yes the Lekeep, uh, what would you say, court decision, where it basically said Lekeep were allowed to lie and exaggerate the argument and what Anelka specifically said to Ramon Dominic at World Cup 2010. He said something, he, he got into an argument with Dominic, but the words that were printed on the front page in quote marks by Lekeep were not the words he said. And Lekeep were ruled, it was ruled in favor, the court case, it ruled in, in favor of Lekeep and is now used as precedent in libel cases in France. Which feels like a dangerous precedent. Very dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. So, so there in, we are. in the end, I would say it's good. Like you could watch it and, and enjoy yourself. It's not super long. And it's and he's a he's an interesting complex figure who's had a, yeah. Uh, and we go from that now, JJ, to the main event here. Um Amazon Prime has released its documentary, Ooh. which chronicled last season's rocky road that was Tottenham Hotspur, uh, all or nothing. So I have they released the first three episodes. Yeah. Um, I sadly I started watching it last night at about eleven o'clock at night. Had it been earlier, I would have blown through all three in the blink of an eye. I thought here's here are my takeaways, and then you you have your chance. I think it's good that we only talk about episode one because people are only just coming to it now. Okay, yeah, I, we should. I guess we should say spoiler alert here. So yes, for episode one, right? Only episode one we're talking about here. Um, my first takeaway here is is not has nothing to do with Tottenham per se. It has to do with this show. I can only compare this to the most recent All or Nothing that I just saw, which coincidentally for me was last season's Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so and 
already in one episode of this, JJ, the access that they seem to have with Tottenham dwarfs that of what the Eagles granted them. Like this show to me is almost unrecognizable uh, with the behind the scenes footage that Tottenham have allowed, as opposed to what the Eagles and the NFL were willing to allow. It's like, uh, but are you getting anything out of it? Documentary. So that is where I knew that we would differ. Right. Me, yes. Okay. Absolutely 100%. Here, here are the things that I'll go through. Uh, the things that I liked about it. I thought seeing the way that players reacted to Pochettino's firing were were very interesting. Watching uh, Harry Kane and Jan Vertong, and I forget who the other player was sitting with them. The, there were three players sitting at the cafeteria having breakfast. The morning. Viral, I think. Was it? out of? Uh, okay, maybe. Um, like seeing the look on Vertonghen's face, it was just like he had seen a ghost. He looked to me truly rattled okay. by the whole thing. And then Harry Kane, it felt like kind of one of the one of the moments in the episode where the players forgot that there were cameras and they kind of almost just were like having this genuine moment where Kane basically says to Vertonghen as they're talking about it, he spoke to Pochettino last night after the firing because Kane and Poch were extremely close. Right. Um, and Kane says that, yeah, I just came in and sacked me on the spot. Yeah, that was it. No, and like the the coldness of it kind of did not shed a great light on Daniel Levy. I thought that I thought that whole part was interesting. Also, Harry Winks at the table next to them talking about just like he's in awe of the coverage. Like the players are all just they all look shell shocked. Yeah, the Winks to me there was I, I wondered like what is the relationship that all these guys have with Pochettino and seeing how somber that room was it felt to me like those players were hurt that this man had lost his job i i totally agree um i watched it with my girlfriend who is obviously a massive tottenham supporter and she started bawling her eyes out around that really? time yeah cussing out levy as well you know she it, it, all the emotions built up because don't forget the way they produced it was they gave you the big triumphant moments of the of the previous season under Poch. And they built that to a crescendo, an emotional crescendo, and then the crushing uh, loss to Bayern Munich and uh, uh, the poor performance away to uh, Olympiacos, wasn't it? So the, they kind of they 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 teased you along, brought you to a point of joy, and then to a point of sorrow. And Mourinho was installed in the documentary pretty quickly, I would think. I mean, almost a quarter way through the first episode. It's amazing, JJ. This is not Tottenham related. This is Bayern Munich related. Like watching <laughs> what, the wrecking ball that Bayern Munich were to multiple seasons. Obviously, they they won the Champions League, so they wrecked PSG season. Before that, they beat Barcelona 8-2, and now Messi wants to leave. So they've shattered this era of Barcelona. And then before that, the 7-2 defeat over Tottenham, they took a wrecking ball to Spurs and got Pochettino right. fired. Like yeah. this season for Bayern Munich was just like an all out assault on their. And that opponent. was October. They were going to lose 5 1 to Eintracht Frankfurt. <laughs> yeah. So, other things that I took out from this, because uh, you said, what did I get from it? I loved the scene once Mourinho's been installed um, of Zhao Sacramento, his his top assistant. Yeah. He comes into Josie's office and it's like he's he's been acting as a spy. Like he's been just kind of like hiding in the walls, listening to conversations. Sorry, can I ask you? Was that was that subtitled for you? Well, I had the subtitles on throughout, so oh, I don't okay. know what was or wasn't. Okay, because we had no subtitles for that you part. Do you not know what he was saying? And no, no, no. We could my 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 girlfriend could figure it out, even though it was Portuguese. 
Well, so basically he came in there and said, okay, Jose Mourinho, here's what you need to know about your club. and Who's slow, who's fast, who's late. Well, he said, like, it was just interesting to me to find out, because I, as a fan, I have my certain preconceived notions of what players are like, but to hear it on the inside, Musa Sissoko, huge influence in the locker room, beloved in the locker room. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Jan Vertonghen, what did he say? Warrior. Always trying to play through injury. The players view him as a warrior mm. on this club. Eric Dyer. This was the one that I said, yeah, I could see that. The guy who who's willing to be the the D out on the field. The only one really that is willing to like get in your face and mix it up. We've known that about him for a while. Um, and then this is where you and I are going to clash. Mm. And I know that. Um, I really got a kick out of watching Jose Mourinho in action watching him operate. Uh, I found it amazing. Ooh. I found it amazing how quickly through one training session, it felt like he had become an endearing figure of I, the club and how I, engaging he was with I the players. I did not see, He engaged with them, but it was very performative. And see, I, this, is why, this is why I knew we were going to have our- Pe- Walker or Peters? Walker or Peters? Both. That's too long, man. You know, uh, um <laughs> Deli Ali saying he's effing lazy, telling him that very performative. You, you couldn't know whether the players were reacting whatsoever to them. They were there was no evidence to me that they were taking to him. I, but it was the first training session. Yeah, and he I, was perf- he was performing for the cameras. I really feel that. All right. I mean, I I knew we were going to clash on this because you have your your feelings about him, and I don't want to not like him. I want to. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just I I'm not talking about Mourinho right now or my views of Mourinho. I'm talking about the documentary and what I saw. And I do think it was there was a lot of um stuff that was performative in it. There was one thing for that myself, Martin Ziegler of the Telegraph and Sachin Akrani of the Guardian agreed on and that was the um the social um they had a social media chat. So it was Winks talking. I can't believe what's going on in social media that slid into Jose's office. And Jose is listening to a radio station or that I've never heard of. It sounded fake. So I agree. Fake. It sounded fake. I don't know so what that fake. was. Yeah. And then he walked I, I, up I don't know. And they, they were, it was two guys bickering over whether or not Mourinho's. But it wasn't even. It wasn't even good bickering, like you could say. Well, that's Jason Cundy on Talk Sport, or that's X or Y. It was. It, it didn't sound real. I don't know but what. They, that was. But they were constantly trying to 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 build up. You know, basically, the peak of this story is this guy is is is. There's this narrative about him, the once great coach stepping in to try and prove it again. Some weird things that that I noticed as well was Mourinho unpacked a signed picture of Vinnie Jones. When he was taking out his stuff in the office. Yeah. Did anyone else notice that? Yeah, actually. Um, weird. Um, and another thing was that defecating and other t- opposition players and his own players defecating in their own pants, pooping themselves, was a huge part of it for Mourinho. He was either telling his own players that when, who was he speaking to? Well, it was Davinson Sanchez. That's who it was. Uh, when I play, when when we play against you in the Europa League final, I could see early on you ished yourselves. And I, Davinson Sanchez would have been on that IX team, correct? I think so. That's who he was talking to, right? And then he talks about, um, he's going through all the games that they can win. Uh, Chelsea come in, and they they're going to ish themselves. You know, it's it's all about pooping the pants with Jose. I found him. I don't know. I found him to be a likable figure in a way that I was not expecting. Listen. I 
I can totally get that. There is one of my favorite videos. The last time I've seen a kind of behind the scenes video was from the first season at Chelsea. And he's in a room before a crucial game. And it's a tight room. And it shows how, how times have changed. This is like some cupboard office in, in, uh, in, in Fulham. And, and it's just like there's a flip chart and all the young Chelsea players are around him. There's Duff, there's Cole, there's all Robin. And he goes like this. And it's one of my favorite moments from him. We may not win. We may not win, but we cannot lose. We cannot lose. And this is Salt and Pepper Jose, James Bond Jose. And now he's a little bit older. He's a little bit, bit more jowly. Maybe maybe he's losing that little bit of charisma. Or maybe I'm losing my love for him. But I, you asked Damien Duff. You asked Joe Cole. Once he spoke to you before a game, you wanted to run through a wall for him. So I do I understand that. I could see that. I can't uh, see it from that. I can't. I he 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 grabbed me quickly. Like I, I, if right. I were a player on that team, I I would respond to him as a manager. I th- I thought that my final point really. I th- I thought what was interesting uh, from it was the the final caption where the narrate or the interviewer who's do, who's doing the pieces to camera says, um, "You love winning, don't you?" And Mourinho just nods, and then he vocalizes what I think is the principle of late stage Mourinho. He's just nodding. He doesn't answer in the affirmative to the question, do I love winning? He just goes, I hate losing. That's what it's about to him. He always pivots, it appears to me anyway, to the negative. What's the worst case scenario? And that's Jose for me. One thing I was thinking as I was watching this and as I was watching Mourinho do his thing, um, I could not help but think, regardless of what you think of him, if it's performative or not, whatever. Mm, Okay. um, what the producers must have been thinking when Pochettino got fired yeah. and Mourinho was brought in. The producers of this documentary, they must have looked at each other and thought, we just we just won the lottery. Like you you can't make this stuff up. It's almost to a point where I was I was watching and I'm like, this is too this is too perfect yeah. for a team. Like it's like, did Jeff Bezos secretly call up Daniel Levy and was like, look, Poch is not he's not getting it done for us. All right. I need you to fire him. Here's 50 million. I'll pay for the whole thing. Don't even worry about it. Get Mourinho in here. Bezos probably has Mourinho on speed dial. So Josie, take the job. Maybe the, maybe you think the club's beneath you. You want to do something else, but take the job. We got, uh, here's all your money that you could possibly want. Let's make this documentary a real winner. I've, I've one question for you before we get out of this. Yeah. What's your perception of, of Daniel Levy? I mean, this is the most Levy we've ever had. Definitely. I think he is, when he talked about what the fans' perception is of him. Yes. Uh, he nailed it. <laughs> he's he's deeply aware and he is deeply accurate of what the fan base thinks of him. Um, he's, he's nervous, isn't he? He's a little bit... I think he's... I don't think he's... He's very conscious of himself, I feel. Yeah. I don't I, think he's comfortable. Yeah, maybe not. He's Look, he's also... Maybe he's not comfortable. Like you say, we don't know him very well. Now, all of a sudden, he's in front of all these Amazon cameras for this yeah. documentary. It's probably not the setting that he's most comfortable with. Um, I don't know. Part of me thinks that he gets a bit of a bad rap um, as their chairman. Um, like when he talked about this idea, the, this lack of ambition, I, I just... I know they've had... You know, you can people can mock them for what they do in the transfer window at times, but he's he has gotten them under his whether you want to say it's him or not, he's the man in charge and he's yeah. gotten them to a level right now that 20 years ago, it didn't seem possible. So I would say that about him. Uh, look, ult- ultimately this viewing experience is going to be different for you and I, because 
there's going to be stuff that you're going to say, can we please just fast forward through this? No. Like th- these, th- what I'm saying, no, no, no. What I'm saying is these players on this team, regardless of what happened last season, um, I love these players. Like right. these are guys who've been on the team for, you know, for, for Tonga, has been there for a decade, you know? So like watching them do anything, behind the scenes is going to be interesting to someone like me. Whereas there are other people that I don't know if they're going to feel that way. I, like if I, it was your club and Jordan Henderson is playing checkers with Andy Robertson, I might say, well, this is stupid. What is this? But on my team, I'll watch it and I've, like it. I think I've, I think we've got to a point with sports documentaries where we think we have more access than we actually do. And I've actually been kind of disappointed, including take us home Leeds United. I've been disappointed with what we've got so far. There's been little nuggets of information and 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 we, we see glimpses, but it's not it's it's not enough for me. And I think there's a formula to them now, and I'm worried that we're getting force fed the same formula all the time. So the, like, I mean, like I said, same, I, I was I was comparing this to the Eagles one, and the, the access in this dwarfs oh, that. It's yeah. not even close. Well, that's the NFL though, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> maybe. Although I don't, I didn't know that the Premier League would be known for allowing access. And I think it's. Um, I think it's di- directorially we're seeing certain devices all the time now. And, and um, well, look, I'll reserve judgment till I finish it. No, you you want to hate it. I know you. You want to mock Tottenham. You, you know that I like it. So you want to try to suck the joy out of me and make me not like it. Andrew, if I want to mock Tottenham, all I'll do is read this. Spurs will either face Romanian side Botosani or Macedonians Shkendia away in the third qualifying round for the Europa League if they beat Plodvid in Bulgaria. How, That's many, all years, how many years of this podcast were Liverpool drifting aimlessly through Nowheresville? And I said not one word about it. Our first year in the Europa League and you can't stop talking about it. You're not. People have... Everybody, you have the wrong idea about this guy. He's not this friendly, happy-go-lucky guy. He's a negative, dour man who just wants other people to hate in the way that he hates. Can No, I think this is a cultural clash. I'm teasing you, and you take it very personally. So It's not, it's, it's not playful teasing. You want to hurt me. What's next, Andrew? Your, your precious mailbag here. We don't have to do it. Do we have time? I don't know. Are there rules? All right. Let's start off with the mailbag. At Sio Soccer Pod, caught offside pod at gmail.com and at caught offside ESPN on Instagram. Follow us on all these platforms, please. We love interacting with you. Well, I like interacting with you. Andrew hates the common man. Don Dennis, it's been a long time coming, but leads are back. I know their history, but little of their ownership finances. I hope they stay up and are competitive. Is survival their goal or might they compete for European spots like a Wolves? Does Ellen Road make a top five, top 10 stadium for atmosphere? Um, so for the latter question, um, Ellen Road will be top five for atmosphere. No question. Um, presuming we have fans or at some, assuming we have fans in the ground at some point, it's, it's an unbelievable place to, to watch football, uh, an old style ground, four different stands, and it really captures the atmosphere. I don't know about, they're going to be competitive. I think I uh, competing for European spots would, would be, I th- would be the club's aim. I don't think they'll want to be, I don't know if they'll be like a wolves. I really don't know. Uh, I would tend to think not. I don't. W- know. Wolves are pretty unique in yeah. the way that they're structured. Bill, you correct? Not Very, everybody can do what they're doing. Yeah, maybe just below the European spots. Maybe like tenth, eleventh, twelfth. They'll they'll be aiming for more than that, and their fans will be too. But I'm not. I'm I'm just not sure. Um, 
Matt, uh, as players like Ronaldo and Messi begin the final years of their careers, are there any players who are obvious successors? No, there isn't. No, I, I, I uh, would say... Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. Um, he's the one that I circled. Um, but like... There's not I, obvious. I, I would say we, we can't do this though. Because like, no. like, JJ, we could go another 50 years without getting a Messi and Ronaldo. Correct. So like, okay, you mentioned Mbappe and that's why I would have said too. Look, he may have, he may go on and have Thierry Henry's career, which would be legendary, brilliant, but, but it it's nowhere be. near Messi and no. Ronaldo. So like, no. you can't, you can't do it. No, it's, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's possible. Um, sports fan on Twitter. Do you have any takeaways from the, from Brighton having small number of fans at their friendly on Saturday against Chelsea. I don't really have many takeaways from it. There was 25, uh, 2,500 fans were allowed into the ground um, to watch the game. And I think it was greeted with, how shall we put it? Um, uh, Richard Masters, the Premier League chief executive said it was very encouraging. But I mean, it's a, it's a paltry small amount um, Brighton Evo and Hove Albion did a fantastic job at their test event for the return of supporters and it was great to see fans in their Premier League stadium for the first time since March the success of having 2,500 supporters in the Amex was very encouraging and we were committed to having full stadia as soon as possible with safety always our priority we were working hard alongside our clubs the government and the safety authorities to achieve this I'm not sure that it signals much except they're they're trying they're trying to do something but um I wouldn't read too much into it. No, I'm about, with you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Scotty Beatty. The FSG crew, are, FSG out crew are pathetic. This ownership that you're so upset over just delivered us the Holy Grail. Grow up LFC Twitter. If you can't handle the FOMO of Chelsea signing half the world, you're not a proper fan. Can I, can I stop you real quick? Yes, you are. You're a Liverpool fan, so I'll defer to you. It, this is a th- FSG out. This is a real thing. Oh, on Twitter, I like, don't know. You've just had this dream season yeah. after having just won a Champions League final, after having gotten to a Champions League final and losing to the Real. Like Liverpool th- are in their they're in their glory right now, and the fan base is calling for ownership to to sell. Like, Not, n- I mean. The more hyster- the more hysterical online fanboys who who are just interested in transfers are are a little bit like that. I think the ante has been upped and the anxiety has been upped since Timo, we, they didn't close on the Timo Werner deal. In fact, they pulled out. They didn't go higher, even though he was there to be signed by Liverpool, by, by, all, in, by all accounts. Uh, and then the fact that this Thiago Alicantara transfer is dragging out so much and there's only uh, been one signing the Greek fullback. So... There's, I, I tend to agree with Scotty though. I mean, I think it's over the top, but I don't know how prevalent it actually is yet. I stay away from LFC Twitter. I have little interest in it, to be honest with you. It's, it can get too, too ridiculous at times. Um, Julio Vega. Hey guys, had to do some digging, but I love that both of you have had your own hairstyle stories. I give you dollar store Olivia Giroud and dollar store Andrea Pirlo. Cheers, love the pod, and keep up the good work and hairstyle anecdotes. So he has done some digging, and uh, Julio has got a picture of you looking like a dollar store Andrea Pirlo with those now shorn locks. Yeah, and, I cut um, my hair. It's all gone. And he has a picture of me from two years ago with a rather severe 
dollar store Olivier Giroud picture. I will post both of them on Instagram. That that's your my least favorite haircut of yours. You don't like it? No, it's too much. It's too much. It's over. Yeah, it's, it's over like the top zero. It's like zero on the sides and like a flop of hair on top. Yeah, I don't know. It's not you. It's, it's a bit extreme. Yeah. Uh, finally, Manny in Sacramento. Any updates as to what you guys are listening to right now? Love the pod, Andrew. I will defer to you, sir. Nothing new. Nothing my new. same. My same. Like I don't know. That's such a boring answer. I haven't like downloaded any new songs recently. I, I know am... this is just your opportunity to to show everyone how cool you are with the Stone Roses. Not really. Um, I I went back listening to a little bit of uh, French electronic duo Air, who we use for um, Sexy Boy, for the Thierry on redrop. <laughs> and um, but the band I'm listening to right now, I had never listened to before. I'm genuine in saying this. This summer has been the summer of Run the Jewels for me. Oh, really? Yep. I'd never listened to them before. Oh, they're I'd, great. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard um, Zach Della Rocca screaming on one of their tracks and I thought, Oh my God, this is, this is pretty great. And I've been listening to them while I run and I work out and they are great. Yeah. I think they're great. So, Oh wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you say that. Yeah. You've got some respect for me. Finally. Finally. This is, right. this is what it took. Oh man. What a, uh, what a podcast. Yeah. Um, we'll keep watching what happens with Lionel. That's what I call him. Oh my That's God. It. Yeah. Lionel, Lionel, your best friend. Yep uh because we'll see like i said wednesday could be an interesting day with his father meeting bartimeu uh whew, i've been dvring the flyers playoff game so i don't know what's happened right now i'm gonna go upstairs i haven't looked at my phone i'm gonna go upstairs and watch it you probably know and you're just look at you you're smiling you can't wait you're looking up the score right now yep. i'm gonna stop this i'm gonna stop this podcast because i can't even look at your smug smiling face that can't wait to ruin it for me <laughs> <laughs> yes you are I'm the worst. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Let's go, Islanders. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.